This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. It's Friday. We made it to the end of another week. But don't clock out just yet. First, we got to catch you up on the big local and state news that you might have missed. Stories like these. A tentative deal to decide the boundaries of Chicago's aldermanic wards. This proposed map would secure 17 black majority and plurality wards, 14 Latino majority wards, and create the city's first Asian American ward. Illinois State Representative Cam Buckner wants to be mayor of Chicago. Buckner's the third person to challenge incumbent Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Buckner says he has a four-star plan to bring Chicago back, a reference to the city's iconic flag. And we have a wonderful panel with us to give us the scoop. Brandis Friedman is a correspondent with WTTW and host of Chicago Tonight. Jacoby Cochran is the host of the CityCast Chicago podcast. And Mariah Wolfel is a WBEZ city government reporter. Let's get right into it. A new person has thrown his hat into the race for Chicago's mayoral race. Illinois State Representative Cam Buckner. Brandis, you talked to Representative Buckner yesterday. What's his story? So he says he feels like, you know, he's been talking to, you know, voters, constituents, and he feels like people don't think they've made enough progress under this current mayor. He doesn't think that, you know, she has had the right uh, temperament. Maybe she's rubbed some people the wrong way oh. since she's been in office. Um, and he obviously, like a whole bunch of candidates, he feels like he can do a better job. Um, you know, he's 37. He has been in uh, the state house for about three years. He was first appointed in 2019, um, and then he was reelected in 2020. He's, you know, served some other positions, you know, in and out of government uh, before that. Um, and, you know, so I, I think he says right now he is running on his record. He's running on uh, the steps that he's taken since he's been uh, in the Illinois State House. Um, mm-hmm. He's particularly concerned about crime and, you know, education, as is anybody who's going to run for mayor in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, he also feels like, of course, there are, you know, some economic changes that he needs to make. Mariah, when it comes to major issues like education and public safety, How would you say he's setting himself apart from Mayor Lightfoot and and her policies? Well, I think we saw some some big news yesterday when he was talking about how he would personally negotiate the Chicago Teachers Union contract. Um, You know, he would be at the table, which is different from uh, Rahm Emanuel and Mayor Lori Lightfoot. It was clearly a call to them directly saying that he would be at the table talking to educators. Um, Obviously, he's he's friendly with the CTU. The CTU hasn't endorsed in the race, but everyone's expecting the Chicago Teachers Union to come out with a candidate. It may be Cam Buckner. It may not. Um, but, you know, he's he's kind of saying he would he would be at the table negotiating that C2 contract. So that's kind of one 
things so far that he's thrown out there as how mm-hmm. he would be different from Mayor Lori Lightfoot. But he did say he's going to come out with more detailed plans as his campaign ramps up. Jacoby, so far in the race, we have Chicago businessman Willie Wilson, mm-hmm. 15th Ward Alderman Ray Lopez, now Cam Buckner. Who do you think is most likely to, to give Mayor Lightfoot a run for her money? That's a very good question. Um, right now, I think my answer probably aligns with Laura Washington, who says, you know, you got to pick somebody that can beat her. And from this original crop, I'm not sure. You know, Cam Buckner is is running on this idea that his district, the 26th House District, runs from, you know, Streeterville down to South Chicago. You know, it runs along the lake, and there are important hospitals in the district, important business in, is businesses in the district. But uh, right now, I don't think anybody has really set themselves apart, you know, you can't say there is a job that is a great prerequisite to be the mayor of Chicago. So to say, what have you done to put you in this position? I don't think any candidate will be able to run on their previous positions. But uh, I, I definitely think Cam missed an opportunity by going to Teapot Brewery. The owner said, I don't know who he is and I don't know what he stands for. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if that was the best place, even on your birthday, to, to announce you're running for mayor. So, so right now I'm not, I'm not too excited about any of the names I'm yeah. seeing. Well, Mariah, he says that he wants to see a community policing approach, you know, where the police department doesn't really focus on certain neighborhoods at the expense of others. Any thoughts on that? Um, I, I I would like to hear more details about that, but I think there's credit. Yeah. I think a lot of us would. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, um, what do you mean? Right. How would that work? Yeah, but I, I don't think that that is like necessarily extremely different from what Mayor Lori Lightfoot envisions for the city of Chicago. But you do hear these issues popping up in city council with, you know, when we see crime increase down in the downtown area and aldermen are fighting for more police resources in specific areas. And then there's areas on the south and west sides who are saying, well, we've, you know, experienced high rates of crime for a very long time. And so, like, you can't look at them neighborhood specific like that. You have to look at them citywide. So I think that could um, I I think that could fit well, but you'd have to see what those details are. We waiting on anyone else to see if they jump into the race? It's going to be expanding. (laughs) It'll be a surprise. (laughs) Who knows? It could be me. Uh, Just a reminder to listeners, we are not voting for a new Chicago mayor this year. That election is next year, 2023. Mm-hmm. If you are just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you are listening to the Weekly News Recap. Our panel today is WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel, WTTW's Brandis Friedman, and CityCast Chicago's Jacoby Cochran. I want to turn to another big story, and I'm looking at you again, Mariah. You've been following the Ward Remap saga mm-hmm. for months. Mm-hmm. This week, a tentative deal has finally been reached on the boundaries of the city's 50 wards. Give us the basics. So, right, uh, the the main point of uh, disagreement between these two groups have been how to best um, represent, like racial and how to break down racial and ethnic representation in the city council. And that has played out with the Latino caucus asking for more wards, more li- majority Latino wards to reflect a growing population in the city of Chicago. The Latino population this past decade uh, surpassed Chicago's black population for the first time as the second largest racial ethnic group mm-hmm. in the city of Chicago. And so that has been the main point of contention um, that's been holding up this process for months and months now. Um, They came up with a tentative deal that a lot of Latino aldermen uh, might be disappointed in because it gives Latino 
Latino aldermen one less ward than they wanted. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at the breakdown racially um, of this new proposal, it'll be 16 majority black wards with one, you know, swing black ward that where the majority of residents in that or not the majority, but the largest demo- racial breakup makeup in that ward will be black, but it won't be the majority of residents. Right. And then you have 14 majority Latino wards. Again, one less than the, what they were asking for. Um, one thing that everyone's happy about, which is the first majority Asian ward in the city of Chicago around Chinatown. And then you have, you know, around 18 majority white or plurality uh, wards to yeah. make up the rest of the family. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Mariah, because Brandis, this is it's being called a compromise deal. It's a historic deal including the city's first Asian-American majority ward. Who are the winners and losers here, you think? You know, we had this exact same discussion on Spotlight earlier this week. Like, who's who's happy with this? Who's not right. happy with this? Um, and some people will say, you know, a compromise. Nobody really gets everything they want, and maybe that's what, what happened here. Um, because I, I think, uh, in particular, the, the folks who are advocating for the people's map are pretty disappointed, you know, that mm-hmm. this, you know— some folks say it is a benefit that it spares, you know, voters who, you know, can sometimes get disengaged. when People keep coming to them like, oh, we've got another election here, another election there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this means that voters won't have to weigh in. I think that election probably could have been costly. Uh, but, you know, obviously the downside to that is that means the people don't get to weigh in. The people don't get to decide. And when you look at these maps, <laughs> Ooh, the maps. you want to talk about gerrymandering. <laughs> Some of them look ridiculous, right? Like oh, they're no. they're U-shaped. Oh, they're they're you know. There's we talked about one, uh, Mariah. Whose is it? It's the the one that looks like you called it a teeter totter. Oh, that's uh, that is the ward of Alderman Gilbert Viegas, yeah, who, who yes. spearheaded the fight against the Black Caucus and the Rules Committee, which you know drafted this map. Right. So. Yeah. so there's the bit like, is this retaliation that this is what he gets dealt, that it looks like a noodle? Well, speaking of him, we did talk on reset to uh, Alderman Viegas about how he feels about this remap. He represents the 36th Ward, of course, on the northwest side. Let's listen to what he had to say. A little disappointed. I mean, uh, you know, this is a loss for Chicago, a loss for fair map advocates, and quite frankly, a loss for the Latino community. Chicago's pop- Latino population has grown for the second decade in a row really just being 40,000 away from being a plurality in the city of Chicago. Jacoby, what do you think? I mean, it definitely looks like some retribution. They said you got Grand Avenue. That That's what you're responsible for, the majority of your district. I know uh, Vallegas is also running for the, the new third congressional. Thank you for Mariah for coming to CityCast to break that down. Uh, so he may not have to even really be responsible for a ward that looks this gerrymandered. But we have covered on CityCast the war remapping from the perspective of folks up in Jefferson Park, Inglewood, that was broken into like five or six mm-hmm. different wards at one point. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not that much better. I think it, it's come down some, but it, it still looks like, you know, let us get our slices of pie, but not in some clean cut. The one thing I'll give the people's map is that it was easier to look at. <laughs> it was easier to make sense of. True. It had a sense of respect for the community areas, the neighborhoods. And, and when you look at this map, I don't understand and and I, I'm not an expert on map making, but I don't understand how this map screams anything other than gerrymandering and protecting the people in power because they don't look like they make sense uh, to almost anybody who's looking at them. So I'll, I'll ask you this. What challenge do you see that it, this map posing not just to the aldermen, but to the people who live there? I mean, first and foremost, who the hell do I talk to when I have problems if there are maybe four alder people in in my ward? 
um, or in my neighborhood or in my community area. And, and so I think it continues a complicated process. And this idea of pushing the buck, they say, now let's focus on the next two years on getting an independent commission. I thought that's what you were doing the last 10 years. And I started convincing myself that we would get to the referendum, yeah. which, which as Brandon said, could be disengaging for a lot of people. But something told me they're not going to let it get that far mm-hmm. because they have the most to lose. Well, Mariah, as we've been hearing Lots of critique right now that this map is just an example of members of city council basically choosing mm-hmm. who they want to be in their wards. Is there some truth to that? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I think this map, I think reporters have done a really good job of looking at case studies within this map where opponents who have ran against city council members in previous elections are now map, magically mapped out of those wards. Um, obviously, aldermen push back on that, say they have a lot of decisions to make about block-by-block decisions. And um, But, you know, the, this map does protect incumbents in a, in a, very, in a very specific way. Yeah. yeah. It still needs to be voted on by city council. Is it expected to pass? It is expected to pass, um, you know, unless anything happens between now and Monday where they lose, where, you know, two or three people. I think they have, you know, a few over 41 votes, which is what I'm hearing. They need 41 to pass it and avoid the referendum. Um, if they, if some of those fall off for whatever reason uh, and they, you know, have 39 votes and then we're then you know the referendum is still in effect and we go to a referendum but I don't think that they would be calling a special city council meeting for Monday um, unless they they were confident that this was going to happen and the people who you know when we talk about that this is a compromise um, you know it's a for whom yeah this this map is like very, very similar to the map that the Rules Committee came out with last December that the Latino Caucus was staunchly opposed to. And so the changes that you see, I mean, yes, the 36th Ward, but the changes that you see are really like incremental little, um, you know, block by block boundaries that made the people who came over flipped sides happy. And so, like, they they have gotten something to secure their vote. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's the choice that they've made for, for Monday. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears briefly here this week to accommodate the numbers out of, of, of out-of-state women who are seeking abortions in Illinois. The mayor pledged $500,000 to expand abortion access here in Chicago. Brennis, what do we know about how this money would be used specifically? From from what I can tell, I think the mayor says it's, you know, used for the, you know, the support services, you know, that kind of wrap around uh, helping someone in need of an abortion. So, you know, travel if you need shelter. Um, chances are if you're traveling, you have to eat when you get where you're going. Um, and so to my understanding, uh, it, it's going to pro- provide that additional kind of support for them. We're about halfway through this recap, and there are still plenty more stories to get to. Chicago aldermen have voted down an ordinance to keep the city from shutting off water to any homes behind on their bills. City officials said the ordinance called for water infrastructure improvements that were too costly. President Biden visits Illinois today. The president wants to put a spotlight on the spike in food prices. The president's visit comes on a day of mixed inflation news. And as many American consumers struggle to pay for essential goods. We have to keep investing in our farmers to reduce the cost, to reduce prices to consumers. Let's get right back into it. Brandis, President Joe Biden was in town this week, and he had a message for farmers about the role they can play in lowering inflation. Tell us about that. Right. He says, you know, farmers, obviously, they are feeding 
this country, uh, but also, you know, feeding the world because of what is going on in Ukraine. Um, everybody who's been to the grocery store or bought food lately, which is all of us know that the price of food has gone up. And so he uh, was acknowledging the importance of the work that they do and recognizing uh, the difficulties uh, there. And, you know, while he was in town, he also, you know, came through uh, Chicago and talked about some other things um, with regard to infrastructure and touting the infrastructure uh, legislation that was passed back in November and what that's going to do for Chicagoans. Yeah, and Mayor Lightfoot was in Texas. Mayor Lightfoot was in Texas. And wasn't there to greet yeah, him. Yeah, wasn't there to greet him. You know who was? Was Cook County President Tony Preckwinkle was was there to get her FaceTime. Yeah, the mayor Tony was- be everywhere. <laughs> I see her walking her dog about three times a week in half hour. She is not missing it. Um, so, yeah, the president was there to greet the president. Um, but the mayor had, we're told, you know, it was a pre-planned trip already to Texas, uh, you know, for some fundraising and, you know, I think some more campaign-related activity, less, you know, official Chicago mayor uh, business. But it's a little strange, right? You know, the president comes to Chicago and her campaign couldn't rearrange a little something so that she could delay that trip because don't you want to get your face time with the president and, you know, get in his ear about whatever federal funding or support, especially going into the summer. Maybe you want to talk about, you know, what the DOJ can do to support Chicago. Um, and so I, I thought it was interesting that, that she wasn't there, but maybe, I don't know, maybe she has other opportunities to talk to the president and this wasn't necessary. But you'd think that it, at least, you know, it's a matter of optics, right? I mean, come on. Eh? The president also vowed to fix the lead pipes in Chicago, using union labor as part of the huge infrastructure package that passed last fall. Let's listen to that. Mayor Lightfoot talked about how Chicago has lead service pipes, more lead service pipes and drinking water than any other city in America, affecting nearly 400,000 Chicago homes. And guess what? That lead causes brain damage, particularly to kids in those pipes. The law is going to fix that. Because every American deserves to be able to turn on a spigot and drink clean water. This comes as the city council announced an expansion in income requirements for people who qualify for the lead pipe removal program. So, Brandis, first of all, can you tell us about that? Well, yes. And first, the mayor, she still got a shout out from the president there, yeah. even, though yeah, yeah, yeah. even though she wasn't even though she wasn't present. Was that coordinated? Uh, <laughs> might have been. Maybe. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just like, yeah, I don't need to be there. He'll shout me out. Um, so, yeah, the city has this lead pipe removal um, replacement program, uh, but you have to, you know, it, it, only low income families. Uh, qualify for it. And if the lead in your water, if it is tested and shown to have a high level, then you can qualify for it. So anybody else um, who, you know, makes above that that salary threshold, I think it's 80 something thousand dollars for a family of four, Mm -hmm. um, then they have to pay for it themselves. The problem with that, though, is that the city mandated use of lead pipes until 1986. So now it's your responsibility and you've got to pay for it. Um, And so I think the city is hoping to expand that program and use some of that federal money uh, to to bring the lead pipe replacement. I think Jacoby's about to jump He's got thoughts on lead pipes. Anytime we talk about lead pipes, I get heated because I had a conversation earlier, CityCast, uh, with Axio Chicago, Monica Ang, formerly, former, uh, formerly of WBZ, and she gave me a whole breakdown of this history. And Chicago started putting lead pipes in in the late 1800s. And then in the 20s, what Biden was just saying about lead, pipe, uh, lead pipes having all of this negative health impacts, we knew about this in the 20s. So Madison, Wisconsin, and Cincinnati said, we're not going to do this anymore. Then in the 50s, they were like, hey, we should we should stop doing this. So New York and Philly and Boston, Chicago, on the other hand, they were like, no. And this really goes back to the Chicago way. 
uh, Mayor Daley at the time was friends with the plumbers uh, union leader, Stephen M. Bailey. And they said, not only do you have to get these in your home, but they have to be done by a union plumber. And so, like Brandon said, the fact that it's up until 1986 that Chicago is still pumping these in people's homes, they're in our parks, in our schools, in our homes, Mm -hmm. and you were forced to get them. And now they're going to say, you know, you have to pay. And so when Biden comes out and says, we'll get this done in 10 years, Mm -hmm. uh, let's do the math. Of the $1 trillion infrastructure bill, about $3 billion of that will flow to cities for lead pipe removal. Uh, Chicago has 400,000 lead pipes across the city. It's going to take $45 billion if they want to do that in a decade. Uh, at the pace we're going right now, the estimates from anywhere between 60 and 75 have been removed since Mayor Lightfoot came out about 19 months ago wow. and said she was going to do this. That would take us 5,333 years. You've so, been calculating. Uh, so come on, you, <laughs> yeah. you want to talk about ten years? You you're not going to be in office to see the end of that, and so that's that's a that's a flat promise to me. And and I think we need to be doing more while we out here promoting Chicago and how good the the water in our city is. And let's do all these cool cans. I'm sorry, you can't even drink water at certain parks in Chicago. So don't don't sell me a can. Um, of, of, of Lake Michigan water, and I be, I have to turn my water on. You got to turn it on for five minutes in your house before you drink it. This That's recap the rule. is hot. Yeah, leave yeah. it on for five Tell minutes. Tell me how you really never feel, heard about that. Though. So you know, uh, I, I don't care if it's free. If they was paying me to take the can, I ain't doing it because that that ain't cool. I, I won't dare to to follow to to try to follow that, but you, you, follow I'm, up I'm so after heated. you because that was I'm that heated. was amazing. You're like a sponge, and all of those numbers you just threw out. I'm so. So impressed. But I'm I, I did just want to say I thought it was very funny to hear Biden come to Chicago and tell us that that lead pipes cause brain damage in children. <laughs> I just and not you know, obviously he's just say, stating a fact, but it just felt very um like thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, he oh, really thought he was saying it for the first time. That's like, an obvious. We know. <laughs> we Th- this know. hurts people. This yeah. this cause heard about the lead pipes. We we know. For honey a hundred years, boss. A hundred years. <laughs> well well Mariah's city council also voted down a proposed ordinance that would would have prevented water shutoffs and prevented privatization. Why was the water for all ordinance shut down? Um, the city said so. So part of that ordinance would also expand the utility billing relief program in Chicago, and that's an initiative that helps low-income families pay for their water bills. The city said that piece of it and other pieces of it would be too expensive. I think that it would cost up to a billion dollars. This is an ordinance that Alderman Daniel Espada introduced last year um, and, like you said, would prevent water shutoffs for failure to pay. It would also um, prevent the privatization of the city's water water utility system. Um, So this was voted down kind of after an hour of debate uh, that centered around that $1 billion. Uh, I think Alderman Laspata kind of tried to amend that in real time, and it just it just didn't just didn't get enough support. It failed eight to five. Um, but there is another ordinance that Mayor Lori Lightfoot introduced last month that's similar but would not expand the utility billing relief program, okay. which is a huge complaint of activists who have been working on this. Um, they say that program needs to be expanded, but Lightfoot's ordinance would, you know, ban the privatization, and it also would ban water water shutoffs due to non-payments for for most for most residents or most people with um, with water payments or you know who are eligible for water shutoffs. And so that 
ordinance, if I'm remembering correctly, there's been so much news in the past month. I think there have been like <laughs> there's going to be three city council meetings in May. Yeah. But uh, was sent to the rules committee um, by some by an alderman who supports the water for all. Obviously, we all know the rules committee is where legislation can go to languish. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Not always when it's the mayor's legislation, but um, that that ordinance is still in place. So we'll see what happens. Unless you're trying to sue gangs. Yeah. <laughs> well, shifting gears a bit, the, the city council still needs to vote on the casino proposal mm-hmm. that the mayor put forth. Jacoby, give us the history of Bally's because oh, it yeah. has a Chicago connection through pinball. Yeah, we, we did an episode this week with the Chicago History Podcast. Uh, and it all came from a joke that uh, our lead producer, Carrie Shepard, made where she was like, is this the same Bally's as Bally's Total Fitness? Which oh, I yes. grew up seeing all of the right. American same. Gladiator-like commercials. I hadn't even thought of that. Right. Go on. It's all I can think of when everyone says Bally's. <laughs> and so the Bally's Corporation formerly, so the company's been sold, the name has been trademarked and moved a bunch, but it came in 1932. And they made a game called the Bally Who, which was a pinball game. And people at this time, you know, depression era, are looking for cheap ways to do entertainment. And you can get about seven balls for a penny. So it's easy. And then the company starts diversifying. They start making slot machines that are getting sent to Vegas and Atlantic City. You know, they do a little more diversifying and they move towards the war effort for World War II. But when they come back, they really go hard into pinball machines. They get they buy um, the company that Midway, which was responsible for Pac-Man and Galaga. They buy Six Flags for a little bit and then they pivot towards uh, straight up casinos. They open one in New Jersey in the 70s and then they get into Bally's Total Fitness for a while. And those commercials, again, they are they're a little archaic, but they are like, look at it. It looks like an episode of American Gladiator, just a bunch of, you know, fit, <laughs> overly fit people, uh, unrealistically fit on a stage, just dancing to the, the cheesiest of, uh, of music, which feels late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and, and so the name kind of falls out of the zeitgeist for a while. And, and then they get bought up. The name is back. And so. The fact that Bally's was the one that was chosen by the mayor this far still has to go through city council, still has to go through the Illinois Gaming Board. Yeah. Uh, but it does feel like a very weird kind of full circle with them starting on the fringe of, of gambling right. and gaming all the way to now they're, they're in the deep end. And I'm interested to see how that goes because the older people, they're coming out with this idea that they don't yeah. they don't want it. But Yeah, they're, they're really we'll hesitant to vote yes on this. That's uh, what they the say, but I think it's because it's easy. This is one of those things that no particular neighborhood wants it, right? but people want it in the city. So I think it's easy to say, I'm hesitant about this. Will this do enough? I mean, it sits across from old Cabrini Green, which we've all talked about in the last uh, year with the failed promises of the city. And, and so I think it's an easy thing to push back on. But when they start talking about $200 million in tax revenue and $25 million straight up from the casino, yeah. let's see how them votes start rolling down. Let's quickly touch on a couple more things. Another story we had our eye on this week, Brandis, uh, the Illinois Supreme Court got its first black female judge. Judge Lisa Holder White of the Fourth Appellate Court was named to replace Justice Rita Garman. What do we know about her? So, um, as you just said, she's that's the court that she comes from, um, and I think she will take over in, in July when Rita Garman uh, finally steps down. And mm-hmm. there's the tradition that you know the outgoing justice gets to choose uh, the incoming justice. Uh, she's from downstate. I can't remember. I think she's originally from Decatur. Um, she's a Republican, which I still like, kind of grapple with calling a judge a Republican. But it's the, the head, weird, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's weird, right? Um, but downstate Republican, first black woman uh, to serve in the position. Yeah. Uh, did you catch the story? 
I did. Anybody else? I did. It, we were uh, talking about it in our uh, kind of newsletter meeting with Sydney, and it's just one of those things where it's uh, you're happy for her, you're happy for her family. Yeah, I'm always cringy when we start talking about first, right? Yeah. First black woman Jacoby, to do this first black man. We are still it's, having major public exactly. institutions where black people are still trying to get in. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I just sat down with uh, Alderwoman Nicole Lee, and I had to keep referring to her as the first Asian-American woman in city council. And while, again, I celebrate that and I, I celebrate all these moments, it is deeply uncomfortable. Uh, and I imagine for the people who are achieving this, it's deeply uncomfortable. Any mm. thoughts, Mariah? And, and you're saying it's deeply uncomfortable because it, it distracts from from talking about policy or their actual work or because it's deeply uncomfortable that they <laughs> that we are just that now in 2022 yeah, it, and it's a first. It's yeah. deeply uncomfortable that we're still here and it's a first and the way it gets played up as a distraction sure. because it ends up putting people Feels on like a pedestal. like tokenism a little exactly. bit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and people now are forced to represent entire groups. Uh, and, you know, it, and whiteness sort of well, just kind of gets to disappear and, in the background. Well, and also, you know, people think, you know, oh, we've checked that box. We've had the first black yep. whatever, the first, you know, Latino whatever to do the thing. And then we're like, all right, so we're good on diversity for a bit, right? Yep. We can mm-hmm. we sure. can just take a break. Sure. Um, Pat ourselves on the back. L- we look did. Look what we did. <laughs> Go us. And if, so. and, if, and if they don't serve in the way that people, uh, you know, the critics say they should, that's not a, just an indictment on them. It becomes an indictment on all of our people. And, and that's... Mm. That's yeah. that's messed up when when our especially in our city where white folks then got to to run the gamut on what is and is not reckless. And I should mention we're having Lisa Holder White on Black Voices this weekend, so oh, nice. plug. tune in. You'll get to tune see what's yeah. yeah. All right, all right. We cannot talk about all these top stories without what else is on folks' minds this week? The weather. Ah, <laughs> this heat came out of nowhere. Highs of nineties. Yeah, I'm not complaining. But which camp are you in? Are you happy that it's finally warm, or is it too hot? Brandis? I'm happy that it's finally warm, so I'm not complaining about the heat. You know, I'm originally from Mississippi, and I, I think spring here is weird, right? You, know I'm, I'm, not, you I know, know I'm an island girl, so, you yeah, know. Exactly, right. <laughs> and a summer baby. Even yeah. though I've been here for 10 years, I'm like, this Chicago weather, it's, it's still not too right. hot. So I'm not complaining, but I'm concerned that it's unnatural. Sure, sure, sure. Be worried. We'll leave it there. And, uh, Mariah, um, I'm not complaining at all. I love the heat. I love humid air. I love sticky, sweaty <laughs> weather. <laughs> because I, and I love jumping in the lake. Like, and I can know. relate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, it's the best. so I love it. And it's like you know, people are saying it came too fast. It's like, don't worry, it's gonna go away. It's mm-hmm. not. We're <laughs> we've got thing. three days. I'm like, four days. Spring, spring is yeah. coming right yeah. up. Yeah. Do you worry. remember two weeks ago? Right. You Come want on. that? Right. Five days of no sunshine. What y'all talking about? I, I'm sad to say goodbye to my layers and my sweaters and my fly hoodies. Uh, but, I, but I'll see y'all again in September. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's coming. Don't worry. We'll leave it there. That's all for the weekly news recap. Our thanks to CityCast Chicago host Jacoby Cochran, WTTW host and correspondent Brandis Friedman, and WBEZ city government reporter Mariah Wolfel. Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend. You too. Yeah, I appreciate you. That's it for today's Reset. Want to stay up to date on the week's other top stories? Stick with this podcast and stop by every weekday afternoon when we drop a new episode. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks so much for spending your time with us and have a great weekend. We'll be back Monday with an all-new Reset.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.